Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman, and this morning we have with us from Utah. I think you're from Utah, right? Uh, That's right. Clayton Priest with the uh, law firm of Smith Hart Big Sin. Did I say that correctly? You did, actually. Nice. Excellent. Well, good morning to you. Good it's morning. Early. It's early there, I know. So you must be drinking coffee, latte with a lawyer. What's your coffee of choice? So I, I'm actually going to depart a little bit. I'm more of an herbal tea guy. Ah, okay. Any special kind or just whatever they have at the grocery store? Yeah, you know what? Just kind of whatever they have. I, I like anything with citrus in it for the most part. All right, good. Excellent. Good. And I get that that wakes you up. I think it's just the ritual of drinking something hot in the morning. Yep. <laughs> um, so anyway, thanks. Thanks for taking time. What uh tell us about the uh, kind of work that you do out there. Yeah, so um my firm does a lot of water law. And so um in the West, we you know we're a very dry place. Um, Utah is one of the most arid states in the country. And so water is really a, a premium out here. Okay. And so we are uh, one of the uh, premier water law firms in this state. And there's kind of a really wide range of practice. And then we have other practices that relate to that. I'm kind of more on the litigation side of the water practice. And so um, and it's a lot of our cases we get into what happened with water maybe even 100 years ago, trying to figure out who has the rights to it, um, what they can use it for. And um, and then another large part of our practice that has developed from that is representing a lot of municipal clients. And so we work with a lot of government entities, both to secure their water rights, um, to provide water for their citizens, as well as providing um, you know other municipal type services, so uh, complying with Open Meetings Act, uh, government record requests, and um, you know, advising them in a lot of different other capacities, including land use. So it's kind of, an, it's an interesting, I think it's a very interesting practice, and it's something a little bit different than, um, I, particularly, I, I went to law school on the East Coast, and, and water um, in different parts of the country is treated very differently. Uh, and uh, out here, it's like I say, it's such a precious commodity that your land would be worth nothing if you don't have the water to do something on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that, that's interesting. So, yeah, and I, saw, I saw you went to GW on, uh, in Washington, which is a water is abundant, right? There's too right. much water. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm a civil engineer, and I thought one of the great projects uh, that we should undertake, and I don't know why we haven't done it, is figure out how to move water from the East Coast to the West Coast. like like we do with oil that's right i mean right. Like i say in a uh, a very historic drought out here and there are places on the east coast where it's constantly flooding and it's one of the great allocation problems it doesn't make any sense to me so you so you're fighting over water meaning it's a precious commodity so you want people it's a it's a limited resource so you're that's what you're litigating about i would imagine right that's correct and uh, but I never thought I mean, I know it's dry there, but I never thought of it like California. But you're saying it's just 
has the same kind of conditions. Yeah, it does. And um, I think Utah is actually the second most arid state in the country right behind Nevada. Oh, and okay. so, um, you know, we have, there's obviously, I mean, we get a lot of, um, the winters here can be, can be great if we get enough snowpack. There's certainly a lot of skiing or a, a, yeah. a ski destination, sure. but if we don't get enough, um, we don't get enough snow. And it's been, the last few years have been, um, you know, fairly light winters out here. And so it's had really big impacts on water, particularly with, um, you know, agriculture and irrigation. Utah's an agricultural state, and there are a lot of um, you know, farmers that are trying to deal with water shortages. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, uh, Utah looks like you're ready to go skiing. Is known for its skiing pattern <laughs> in the world, right? That's right. We loved. Uh, we loved it. We loved. I loved to go skiing. We go ski with my family every year. And um, but yeah, they have. There's a lot more they can do now. I mean, they make a lot of snow up there in the mountains. But if we don't, you know, get enough water, you know, look at what's happening in the Colorado River drainage with um, you know Lake Mead, Lake Powell. Um, they're all part of that drainage and. They're having to have some real, real thought about what to do with um, these continual low levels of, of water and uh, runoff. Yeah. Are there any? You know, I mean, listen. I mean, if you look at uh, Israel, for example, right, desert, but they've mastered irrigation. There. Are you starting to do some of those things in in Utah as well? Yeah. There's um. There are a lot of different measures that are being implemented. Um, state through the legislature have allocated a lot of funds to um to try to solve uh, the irrigation problems uh, you know and some of it is as simple as just you know water metering when it comes to um you know residential uh, lawns and things like that making yeah. sure water metered and some of it's um more innovative they're trying different things in agriculture to try to you know, spread the water a little farther and make sure there's not as much evaporation law. So there is a lot of innovation going on in this field, trying to figure out how best to um, make make more do with a limited resource. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so give me an example of a, a case that you would litigate, like what the issues would be. So it can be, um, so a few years ago, and this was kind of a, an interesting case that we started working on, which was had to do with water in the Colorado River, and um, there was an individual that was able to acquire some. So water can be um, acquired through a what's called a water right, and it's just you know, it's on the west. That's the right to divert a certain amount of water to a certain place for a certain amount of time. Mm. So um, you know there was an individual that got some shares, but there was there were some challenges to that from neighboring property owners, and this is water that. Anyway, um, it was old mining water that he was he had gotten his shares to, and so we did a lot of research to see what had happened in the late 1800s mm. to see you know, what had happened with the water, you know, how the mine had been using it, and um, and un unfortunately for this individual, there were some gaps in the title, and so you know there were there were issues on trying to figure out you know how to get past that. Um, so that's kind of one one way that it comes up another um and were you were you defending what, what and what was your position on that you were defending or were you the plaintiff 
So on that one, we were the plaintiff trying to get his water rights um, adjudicated or, or recognized by the by the courts, get basically get them validated to say, hey, these are these are valid water rights. He's got the right to take this amount of water. And so um, and you get uh, in terms of the challenges on that. Right. You, you can have everything from just a neighboring property owner um, that's saying, hey, you know what? I actually am the one using this water to or have historically used this water or the, your the farm hasn't used it and or um, you get government entities so the department of the interior the, your land management they may also come in and say you know we don't think the water's been used we think it's been forfeited um, you know, we think we've got the right to the water and so there are a lot of um, a lot of hands that show up to say no this is actually yeah. ours is there yeah. money at stake, like, you know, typical plaintiff attorneys? Is there any money at stake where you're getting damages? Yeah, so under, so there's kind of twofold, depending on the type of case. Um, under Utah's, under Utah's law, um, if, if there's an interference case where you're accusing, you're saying, well, someone has come in and they've, they've taken my water, or they've somehow interfered with my diversion works, um, they've come in and they've, you know, filled in one of my irrigation ditches, something like that. Um, you're entitled to attorney's fees by statute if you prevail on that. And then obviously if there are you know, damages to there are damages to crops, there are other um, you know other very real tangible damages that arise um, and may uh, and including restoration damages to get in there and uh, restore what's been done to these waterways. Okay. Uh, and do you, do you work on, so when you live, do you work on contingency? Do you, how do you get, how do you get paid from these clients? So I'm trying to understand if it's like a typical yeah. plaintiff, you know, mal, medical malpractice, personal injury kind of. Right. Work. Right. So it's usually different than that. Usually it's just on an hourly. Okay. Um, there's not as, <clears throat> there's not as much of a contingency practice in these fields. Um, in the end, you know, there's usually not like a, as compared to a medical malpractice, there's usually not as big of a payout. It's marked largely more um, trying to get either injunctive relief, you know, to prevent someone from doing what they're doing to your water. Um, and then, I mean, and the damages is a, is a small part of that. Mostly it is more about the injunctive or the adjudicative relief because the water rights themselves are very valuable. And so, um, I mean, I, I, for for each acre of a farm, you may need anywhere between three and six acre feet of water, and that's a, enough water to cover that acre with a foot of water. And um, you know, water rights per acre can be anywhere from you know, ten to twenty thousand dollars. And so, if you've got a forty acre farm and you've got the water to divert that, you may have millions of dollars tied up in water rights that you're trying to get validated. Sure. Okay. And, and obviously it must be a very active, busy practice, right? If you're focused on that. It is. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, there's, there's a lot of different areas where it, it comes up with, you know, from title side to interference. And, um, and so it's, it is, it's a, it is a very busy practice. So it's sort of, it's sort of in some ways like real estate, right? With the uh, title and, you know, rights and defining what's yours and not yours, right? In many ways, land. It is. Yeah, it's very similar. Um, and one thing that is, there are 
or forfeiture statutes um, because it's such a, a precious commodity that if you can't prove that you've been using it, then you lose it. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. You lose your rights, or even if it's, I mean, I don't know how you define, is it based on where it is on your land? So it's based on a couple of things. It's based yeah. on the, um, so it's, it's usually, it's kind of more based on the source, right? So um, you might have a, a spring, a well, uh, a stream of some sort. So there's a source that's named and then you get permission to use it in a specific place. Okay. And so you have a, a point of, they got a point of diversion where you're taking it out of the, the natural uh, drainage and then a place of use where you're actually putting that water to use. And you know, so if you've, if you purchase, so for example, if you were to purchase a farm and then, you know, it's, it, the water has been used and then you don't do anything with it. Um, the, the policy is because it's so valuable, we don't want people just to sit on water. And yeah. so after a period of, of time, you haven't used it, someone can come in and file a forfeiture action and say, you didn't use it, you've lost it. And somebody else can appropriate it. Is it, I mean, do people trade it like a, other commodities where you, you have it and people need it? So there's a supply and demand. Yeah, so there is some of that. There's um, you know, water can be bought and sold with water rights. Um, there are so and there are irrigation companies that will sell shares of water, mm. which give you the the right to divert water for a certain amount of time. Um, and so it, it is bought and sold as a commodity. Um, it is so in that so it definitely is bought and sold in the commodities that. The water shares themselves, it's not like the you know, share of a company where it's easy to assess, like this is the going rate. It yeah. fluctuates a lot based on more 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 like real estate, you know, what's going on in that particular, you know, valley area drainage and, um, you know, what the what the demand is. Yeah, interesting. So give me an example of like a, a case that you worked on that was really memorable. So interesting case. Um, so... Let's see. Oh, so we were, so I was working on a case, the one case that was, um, and so this was in uh, central Utah and it had to do with water that was really flat. Um, and so what was happening was in order to divert water, um, a dam was being put in um, what we would call a river for what people on the East coast would think of as a small stream. Right. Um, so basically a dam was being put in and then water was, um, flooding back to the point where it could be pumped out into a, a field. And what was interesting about this case was that I talked about kind of getting into the histories and to, to prove, you know, what was being used and, and when it was being used. Um, there was a lot of historical research that was done. And so some of the things that we were using were um, old journal entries and documents um, from the, you know, the late 1800s where people were talking about, you know, going out and um, I kind of, um, you know, ice skating on these flat marshes um, in the wintertime and um, or, or going out in some of these areas and um, you know, fishing with their pitchforks uh -huh. when the water was up at these levels and, and using that to then show, um, to show that this was, was being used. And so, um, so there were some really kind of interesting historical facts and things that I learned about and some um, practices like that that were, I guess they were just kind of interesting from a historical perspective. And then 
Uh, we were in a you know it's small courthouse, and the the judge really wanted the parties to work it out. So the right before opening statements, the judge said, "I want you guys to go back into the jury room and see if, to the parties go back in the jury room and see if you can figure this out." And uh, so we went into this small room and spent by the judge's order spent the day trying to figure out a kind of outside the box solution to get it resolved and um that we were able to get it worked we really kind of a temporary settlement in place that then took a year's worth of engineering to figure out how to make some practical changes and it ended up settling in um you know farmers were able to one farmer was able to keep his water the other was able to keep some uh, flooding off their property and everyone went away more or less happy oh good excellent um any other what other besides water um issues what what other kind of work do you do you said i think construction is on your on your background yeah so we um so represent um construction land use clients so we do a lot of um, you know rezoning things like that trying to get um, land rezoned and then I do a lot of municipal work so um, we, you know, we work with um, cities and it can be um, it, there are a lot of different kind of interesting challenges that come up in working with the city um, this last year it's working with a local city um, we were having this particular city it was having a problem with abandoned homes that were becoming, that were, um, the homes were closed to entry due to meth contamination. And so then they were becoming um, kind of a, a refuge for criminal activity. And so we were looking at how to solve that and there, there wasn't really a good mechanism. And so um, there are others at my firm that are lobbyists and, um, and I in fact became a lobbyist last year and we worked with um, a lot of different organizations and the, the state legislature and got a bill passed to create a mechanism for cities to come in and require the abatement of these homes so that they can be used again. Uh, what was happening is they would become contaminated and they would just sit for, um, for decades. Mm. So it, it um, and so that was kind of a, a, an interesting, different area that I've really never practiced in, um, which yeah. is not strictly speaking a, a, a you know, JD required field. But I think most of the lobbyists I've run into have some kind of legal training. Right. And, um, but, you know, being involved in writing the bills and going back and forth and um, having the committee hearings. Um, so lobbyists and, at the state level you're talking about, not. not yeah, state, not, state level, state not, level. not, not yeah, state okay. level. Oh, interesting. Do you like that work? So it was interesting. Um, it was, there is a, um, it, it's a lot about who you know. And so, um, you know, fortunately, the, the people that I work with have a lot of connections and are able to, you know, get it in front of, um, you know, influential state legislature, uh, state legislators. And, um, and I, and I think it's interesting, you know, that when you look, look at both the court process and the political process, you have a lot of people that are very genuinely trying to do the right thing, but have very, very different ideas of what that is. Yes. And uh, and so I think and I think for the most part, you know, we can get fairly jaded um, as as attorneys or we get fairly jaded with the political system. But, you know, I, I think it's 
I do think for the most part, people really are genuinely trying to do what they believe in their heart is the right thing. Um, Just they have different views of, of what that is. Yeah. So, so let's just step back a little bit. So tell me how you became a lawyer. And again, it's interesting. So from Utah and also on the East coast, you got the flavor of two different, very different places. How'd you make that decision? Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I I think like a lot of lawyers, um, it was something that, um, you know, I I was interested in becoming a lawyer at, at a fairly young age, but I didn't really know exactly what, the practice of law was like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't have any close family members that were attorneys. Um, my dad um, works for um, you know, works for government entities, and so um, and and does. Um, so as a kid, you know, there was a lot of talk about you know, different laws. Um, you know what was going on in the cities, and that was always um, you know something you know, dinner table discussions that came up, and so there was some interest there in, in learning more about you know kind of what was what was happening, what was going on, and so and you know and again you know being a, a kid, I was inspired by a lot of um, you know very famous lawyers, right? You've got um, you look at the the emphasis that our educational system puts on how a country was created and that was largely done by lawyers. Mm. And so, you know, with John Adams, um, you know, Thomas Jefferson, individuals that were law trained uh, and made a huge difference in just what we are as a, as a country. And so that was very you know, interesting to me, but again, not really knowing, you know, what it is that the day-to-day life of a lawyer looks like. Um, and so I kind of had, wanted to to go on this path and i met you know as i got older i met other individuals that were attorneys and you know it's seemed like you know when i talked to them it seemed like what they did was interesting um and then you know so i kind of set that as a as a career path and um, found myself in law school and fortunately for me i i liked what i was learning and i found it very interesting and as i did various internships clerkships um, you know, enjoyed the work that I was doing. I had colleagues and um, I did, did not, you know, got to law school and realized, whoa, this is not for me. Um, and I found different ways out of the profession, but um, you know, it was something that, that fortunately um, through maybe just luck, <laughs> uh, when I learned what the day-to-day practice was, I actually was something that I actually enjoyed. Oh, good. So it resonated and stuck in you and you're happy. And what about the kind of law that you're doing? How did you get, because that's a real niche um, area. It is. Um, so when I was, um, when I was in law school, um, I was taking a, a natural resources class and I was um, taking a, a government law class and um uh, and when I was looking for a clerkship at the same time, and um, I talked to my dad about it, you know, and I said, you know, these are the kind of things I'm interested in the classes I was taking. He said, well, you got to, he had done some work with the firm that I'm at now. And he said, well, you got to reach out to them and see what they've got going. They kind of practice in those areas. And so, you know, I, I reached out and it fortunately was a, a good fit. Oh, good. Excellent. And you're happy. So you found your place. I did. I am. Yeah. And I say it's, um, uh, not, I don't think everyone is, is that fortunate, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, no, I, I, I like where I'm at. Um, you know, I, and I think a lot of that is there are a lot of great 
I like who I work with, um, you know, and so the, the topic, you know, the, the actual field of practice is interesting. Um, but, you know, the people that I work with, um, the other attorneys at, at my office, um, you know, it's a it's a small office. And so it's a it's a more tight knit group. And yeah. um, and we interact a lot with each other and we we work on a lot of different projects together. And it requires a lot of, um, you know, every case is very different. Um and it requires a lot of times a lot of of uh, real creative thinking to try to figure out a, a solution for a problem um, with evidence that's hundreds of years old um, yeah. potentially. And so, so that's all very you know. So it's very interesting, but it is. I think a lot of it too is um, just the people that I work with. Got it. So just um, so as you as you uh, mentioned, some people fell out, some people didn't make it. So if somebody were thinking about law, what would your advice be and what are the qualities that you think you need to, to make it and be happy as a lawyer? So I think the, so I think there's a couple things. And one, the first thing is figuring out what makes you happy as a person. Um, and the, the practice of law um, can be, I think, a very lonely one for some people. Mm. Um, it's a lot of... Uh, it's a most of what we do is not um, you know it's not the you know I don't know courtroom drama where you're uh, you know l lawyers are are in court a lot less than people think. Yes, yeah, the romantic and, vision of a lawyer is not what the typical day is like. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, most of the days you're in an office by yourself at a computer and you're researching or you're writing, and um, and so at least for, for any kind of law practice that involves litigation. I know there, I mean, there are different law practices, um, but for the most part, you know, being a lawyer is fairly lonely work. And, um, and if you're someone that really thrives in, you know, having a, a large team dynamic and working with people every day and having a lot of, um, a lot of interactions, certainly litigation is probably not for you. Mm. Uh, and, um, and so I, so I think that's one. The other thing I think to the extent that you can, um, you know, whether that if you're interested in getting into law and if you're able to, to shadow a lawyer, you know, that kind of thing where you can kind of get a feel for what is it they do. And, and we have people that come through our office all the time that, um, you know, they will come in and they'll, they'll work um, kind of, uh, you know, scanning documents. They may, they may work as a, even just a receptionist for a while just to, um, you know, they have the intent of going to law school, but they're trying to figure out, you know, what that really looks like. And I think that that's something that I wish I would have done, um, you know, when I was before I went to law school was, you know, find out a little bit more about what the day to day looks like, um, because I think it does for some people, it does come as a surprise that, um, you know, they they get into law school, they invest in that and then they find out, ooh, I just this this is not for me. And then they leave and they go into another field. I've seen that happen myself with people <laughs> after three months or one semester. It's like, nope, I think I'm not going to do this. So yeah, you're right. It's a big decision. It's a big, big investment of time, time and money. It is for sure. And I mean, I, I think it can be very rewarding, um, but it, like I say, I think it takes the right temperament or, or knowing, you know, what it is you're, you're getting into. And, and I, I mean, I know people that are, are doctors or you know, pharmacists and other professions yeah. that, 
you know, and, and they've, they've related similar stories, you know, where, mm-hmm. you know, second day of medical school, somebody who's wanted to be a doctor their whole life realizes, oh, this is what this actually looks like. And I don't think it's unique to the field of law. No. Uh, but um, but I think for sure, the, the more you can find out about it and, and the more that you understand and can deal with the stress of, of a law practice, um, you know, it's a it can be a very stressful uh, career path. Um, as I'm sure, you know, we have a lot of problems with substance abuse in the profession, I think, to try to self-medicate and deal with that. And so finding how to how to deal with the, the stress in healthy ways is also important. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Well, listen, uh, this has been a certainly interesting discussion. I learned a little bit about water management. I didn't realize that Utah was such a, that was a precious money. I, I knew certainly California because you read about the the wildfires, et cetera. Uh, but I didn't know, I didn't know you had the same issues there. So that, that's been interesting. Um, what just sort of final words that you want to leave with the audience about you and your practice, what, what you want people to know about you and the best way to connect. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I don't have a huge uh, social media presence, um, yeah. you know, um, but no, for certainly, I mean, our, you said our, our firm is Smith Hart Vixen. Um, you know, we have a, a website um, that's probably the, the common contact information's on there. That's probably the best way to connect. Um, but no, I, I think the, the, my parting words or my parting thought would be, and I think this is true for most attorneys that I've talked to. And that is that the, um, if you, if you have, um, if you have questions about whether or not you have a legal problem, the time to talk to attorney is sooner rather than later. Um, there's usually a lot more that can be done to help you out of your problem um, at the beginning than if you if you wait and you put it off. And I mean, and I think it's like most things, but um, sometimes people are intimidated about, well, can I really afford attorney and what the cost is going to be? Um, but even just having, you know, a, a, a consultation and finding out, okay, these are some of my options or, you know, these are some of the risks that I have, then they can decide, you know, what it is they're comfortable with and what way they want to go forward. But if you wait, usually your options are very limited. Got it. Okay, good. Good advice. Thank you. All right. So uh, everybody, uh, Clayton Priest with the law firm of uh, Smith Hart Vigson, um, Thank you very much for spending time with us. And uh, this show is sponsored by Emotion Track with a C, which is a legal tech platform that helps litigators prepare for mediation trials. So thanks again, Clayton. Uh, It was fun spending time with you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah.